Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined, as always, by our fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, and we're back. Took a little break for the Olympics. I appreciate y'all checking in on your girl. I did make the trip to Tokyo. It was life-changing. Obviously, the Olympics were very different this year with no fans and no family. And there was definitely an empty feeling for all of us that were there, wishing that all of you were joining us to watch just the incredible performances from athletes around the world. What I will say is that despite the attendance in Tokyo, the performances were just incredible. I mean, I... One day we'll do a podcast of some sort on just what Tokyo was like and and what it was like, at least for someone like me who's spent a majority of my career in one sport in women's basketball to be able to um, observe the best athletes in the world in various sports, track and field, gymnastics, swimming. I mean, it was quite the honor for me. And I don't think there'll ever be another Olympics where you'll walk into an arena and you are sitting front and center without hustle or bustle or crowd um, in front of the balance beam as Simone Biles is getting ready to step on or, you know, just all of the different venues where, um, you know, I got to just walk right in and and see just incredible performances from start to finish. So um, that was my summer. (laughs) I feel like it anyway, because it's almost over now after coming back. Tarika, what was your break like? Well, my break was actually filling in on the show, which was pretty cool. I was able to have some great people join me in your absence. And I also managed not to talk crap about you because you were doing such an amazing job on Tokyo live in the morning. If you guys missed her on Twitter, you guys missed a treat. She did such an amazing job. We never thought we were going to get her back. We were like, you know, the China then went over to Tokyo and lost her mind. She ain't never coming back to the States no more. And I just want to commend you for, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and just doing such an amazing job. You you really made us proud. So great job, the China. Oh, well, thank you so much, T. And thank you and everyone that filled in while I was gone. We had so many different experts and and analysts come in and, um, you know, talk about the WNBA, talk about Tokyo, just fill us in on all kinds of things that were happening yeah. around women's basketball. So thank you guys for that. In today's show, we will visit with Michelle Vopel, who will recap the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame with us. We'll also talk about where things stand in the standings. Yes, that's what I said, where things stand <laughs> in the WNBA standings um, from Michelle's perspective, which is always great. We will also recap the Commissioner's Cup and just our overall thoughts on the event. Congratulations to the Seattle Storm. Um, And then we will have a first-time guest, which we, um, you know, try to bring on different contributors to women's basketball when we can, because we know that our sport needs more coverage and we want you, our listeners, to be more associated and to be um, aware of, of some of the different writers and producers and photographers and just everyone there is um, analysts, you know, reporters that are out there covering our sports. So Drew Ivory um, will be on the show to give us his thoughts on the Dallas wings that are trying to lose their playoff spot. (laughs) Quite frankly. First quarter. All right. 
Before we start the show, just a couple of other notes. We talked about Tokyo. Congratulations to Don Staley and our USA women's basketball team. Seven straight gold medals. Excellence, dynasty, dominant, all of the words you can think of. They've done it. I got to sit in the stands and watch it and really almost dropped a tear. Um, just so proud of how those women represented our country and how they represent excellence. Uh, the White House, the Seattle Storm. Oh, my goodness. The WNBA is back at the White House. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's common practice for championship teams here in our United States to be invited to the White House to visit with the president um, after you're crowned the champion. Well, the WNBA was not invited to the White House during our last president's time there. And um, yeah, the previous administration just decided they weren't going to invite the WNBA to the White House for their whatever reasons. Um, but we don't care because now Joe Biden is in the building and Seattle Storm did get to go to the White House and celebrate their championship. So that was really cool. Uh, Stewie had a baby, Ruby Mae Stewart Charguy. Congratulations to Brianna Stewart and her wife, Martha Charguy, who, let me tell you this, when this news broke, I was like, so the baby had a baby. Right? <laughs> because I still look at Stewie as a baby. Like, in my eyes, and I know I'm not supposed to, I know, just slap my hands. But, like, you watch these kids grow up. And she's not even a kid anymore. She's a grown woman. She has a whole child. Like, what? Where's the time gone? Who is able to get off a plane in Tokyo, in L.A., get to Idaho, have a baby, and then a day later play in the Commissioner's Cup? I don't have the mental capacity, let alone the physical strength, to do that. I don't have any of it. <laughs> I don't have any of it. Um. Yeah, Stewie's got a baby. So we're happy about baby Ruby. Congratulations. WNBA Top Shot is a thing. Now, I can't claim that I know everything about Top Shot. I know it's digital trading cards. We're going to try to get maybe Roz Gold on Wude, who seems to be the queen in this in this space, to come on and talk to us about it. But we hear it's a big deal for the league. Um, there was an announcement yesterday, so congratulations for that. And then my last little bit, and I don't know if this is, you know, I just feel the need to say this. I am so sad about all the injuries around the WNBA. I hate it when players get injured. I hate it because it, it just, they work so hard to be in position to contribute to their teams, especially at this time of year where, you know, you worked all season to put your team in the playoffs, to make a push for a championship, and then there's injuries. So I know I'm not going to be able to remember everyone, Welcome back, actually, first of all, to a few people that were out due to injury. Ariel Powers is one of them. I know Natalia Chan has been back. Um, Candace Parker is back, though she missed time with an ankle injury for Chicago, which has been plaguing her, feels like, all season long. New, New York is now without Sammy Wickham. Um, who's having an amazing season for the, for the Liberty. Uh, they've also been without Jazz Jones, who is probably one of the more underrated younger players in this league. Um, Dallas is without Satu Sabli. The Sparks did get back. Christy Tolliver, um, Janae Gumake, and Neko Gumake coming back from the break. So that's positive. Washington got Deladon back, but now they don't have Tina, who has a gluteal injury, gluteal, which is your butt. Um, and so, oh God, right. Washington gets one back, loses one. 
Crystal Bradford, who is the spark of all sparks for the Atlanta Dream, is out, as well as Candace Dupree. Tiffany Hayes is back, but not really, still kind of finding her rhythm. So I just, this injury thing, happy for those that came back, but just sending lots of love to players who are still trying to, or are on the mend, because it's not easy. We did get Diana back too. We got her back during during Tokyo, but um, it's just it's a delicate it's a delicate space to be in. And even with Deladon, it's day to day with her bat. Like you just don't know. So I know these athletes have been going through a lot over the last two years, trying to maintain a high level of um, you know performance, whether it's endurance or just being healthy. And it hasn't been easy during COVID, workout changes, all that stuff. But I just felt the need to say, we feel for you, Alicia Clark. You know, there's some people that are, that are, are out for the season. Um, yeah, we're, we're sending y'all our thoughts. That's all I want to say. And with that, we will now head into the second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. We are excited because this is the best time for WNBA fans as we are finishing up the exciting second half of the regular season post-Olympics and headed full force towards the playoffs. Now, if you don't remember, uh, the top eight teams make it into the WNBA playoffs, and right now teams are jockeying for position. Uh, They're trying to make it into the playoffs and we've had some great play. Unfortunately, some injuries that may impact how things look in the postseason for the league, but so much happening. But before we get into all of that, we want to welcome in one of our favorite guests, the Michelle Vopel, ESPN and ESPNW writer for women's basketball to help us recap a very special night in our sport. And that is the women's basketball hall of fame, which took place in Knoxville, Tennessee, last weekend and if you don't remember the inductees were as follows Tamika Ketching, Swin Cash, uh, Debbie Brock, Carol Callen, Sue Donahoe, Lauren Jackson, David Stern, and Carol Stiff. So wow what a class in terms of their impact on our sport and so Michelle welcome in always good to have you. Thanks thanks for having me. Just wanted to, you were there. Um, unfortunately, I did not get to go. I had a game Saturday and Sunday. Would have loved to be there. But um, what were just kind of your overall thoughts on, on the event and some highlights for you? I think the interesting thing about this class is that it really does, um, you know, take up the spectrum of people who have uh, an impact on women's basketball. Everybody from David Stern, without whom the league wouldn't have started, to somebody like a Debbie Brock, you know, who was part of the, uh, the Delta state teams, um, you know, that, that won three straight championships in the AIW years. And, you know, Debbie was um, 4'11 and uh, you know, was somebody who um, in, in the early days of women's basketball, she knew what her role was. Her role was to, to get the ball to Lucy Harris. Um, and, and she did that really well. Uh, they had some video footage there of her, you know, playing in the 1970s, which is always kind of fun to see because a lot of these players, even people as old as me, didn't get a chance to see them um, very much back in the 1970s. So you had, you know, that range. And then you had, you know, people like um, that, that, that are sort of the, you'd say maybe the behind the scenes people who do so much with uh, Carol Stiff, with everything she's done at ESPN, with 
Carol Callen at USA Basketball, and then Sue Donahoe, you know, with um, with the NCAA, and and obviously was also formerly a coach. Um, I, I thought there was there's some real poignant moments there, including you know Sue Donahoe, unfortunately is um, is passed away. Um, David Stern had passed away, so it was Sue's sister who spoke for her. It was David Stern's son who spoke for him. And then because of COVID, uh, Lauren Jackson wasn't there. So there, there was some, some poignancy there and who wasn't there. Um, but then there were some really funny moments, um, but especially with Swin Cash and, and Tamika Catchings, because they're such close friends um, and then rivals representing, you know, the UConn-Tennessee rivalry. So there really was something of every, you know, every type of person who's uh, impacted the game um, was represented in that Hall of Fame class. You know, I was smiling as, um, you know, when you bring up UConn, Tennessee, it's got to be one of the most interesting dynamics we have in our sport that Tamika Catchings and Swin Cash are like peanut butter and jelly, though they went to these two, you know, rival schools, two most successful schools in the history of women's college basketball. Um, and how, you know, they tell the story of Pat Summit and Gina Oriema but also have collaborated to um, build the foundation, I guess you could say, for what we now know as the WNBA Players Association. I mean, those are two players that took the reins and, and served on, um, you know, several appointments for the WNBA Players Association. And, and so when you talk about behind the scenes, even the players on this list, it's especially those two, were integral parts of, um, you know, helping us to move the needle um, in the game of women's basketball in so many ways and putting in structure and what is the Players Association and, you know, a lot of the marketing endeavors and the business side of the WNBA, the players had to handle a lot of that in the, in the early years of the league. And I know um, Swin Cash and, and, and Tamika Catchings took the torch from others and were a, were a big part of that. And, you know, I don't, you and I are very fortunate because we get to interact with, uh, you know, so many different people that work behind the scenes in our sport, like a Sue Donahoe. Like I, I wanted to once be an athletic director. So I, I spent a lot of time at the NCAA. I used to do their leadership programs and learned a lot about how it worked and who are the people behind the scenes. Like athletic administration is so important. And we don't realize that the advocating that Sue Donahoe had done over the years for the NCAA championships and, you know, growing our sport at that level, how important that is. And you and I have got to meet her, but a lot of the fans never got to meet her. I've never got to meet a David Stern, but again, his decision to push for the WNBA was huge. Carol Stiff, I've watched her go to bat as you have us both working at ESPN time and time again, not just for women's basketball, but for our sport. So I felt very connected to this, this class. Um, and I mean, these are essentially people that, you know, without their efforts, our, our sport would not be where it is. Now, when we push to look a little bit, just at the weekend in general, we want this to be very supported, right? Like this is an important moment for women's basketball. It's our hall of fame induction. You know, what can we all do to support this more, you know, how can we get more people there? I don't know. Was it heavily attended? I, I was not there, but what do you think about just the event in general? I think there's always been a little bit of, um, I, I, conflict's probably too strong a word, but a, a little bit of uncertainty, like is, is this Knoxville's event 
is this women's basketball's event? Is it, how much is it the WNBA's event? How much it, is it women's college basketball's event? And, and the truth is it's, it's all of those things. One of the things that I think all of us, I think you guys both have talked about this before. I, I can remember a really specific conversation that Mel Greenberg and I, I had in that, uh, that hotel <laughs> that's, now, that's now closed down next to the Hall of Fame. Everybody who's been there knows what hotel I'm talking about. Um, but we were, I remember us sitting in the lobby talking about we wanted a game associated with the Hall of Fame weekend. Uh, a WNBA game would, would, would be preferable. But how would you, you know, how would you get that done? You know, uh, somebody would have to give up a home date. Um, and, and it just, you know, has occurred to me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, that now with the Commissioner's Cup, that's an extra game. And it was on a, you know, neutral site uh, court this year in Phoenix. They'd like to have it on a neutral court site or at least a site that's set in advance. And I think it could be great if it could work out, you know, financially and, and uh, logistically and every other way to maybe try to have the Commissioner's Cup game and the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, both in Knoxville, at least try it, see it, see how it works and make that a destination weekend for women's basketball fans, you know, them having a chance maybe to come in see a game played for a championship, have, you know, that Tennessee fan base, which we know loves women's basketball, have a chance to see a a game for a championship and then a chance to see the inductions and a chance to tour the Hall of Fame. I mean, I think that could be a really cool weekend um, if if there's a way to make it happen logistically. Yeah, I like that. And I actually was um, at NBA summer league this summer. And someone said to me, you know, cause I, I had been there before and worked as a reporter some years back, but haven't frequented the event. And someone said, you know, this is like the final four for the NBA. Right. And so they have this space where, um, you know, USA basketball coaches come and NBA summer league coaches come and, you know, just, a it's just a, you know, NBA front office executives are there and league representatives. And it just would seem like a cool place to um, connect, to network, to throw out ideas, maybe have meetings. And you and I have on numerous occasions discussed the need for women's basketball to be more connected at all levels. Right. And so why not have the commissioner's cup to your point wouldn't count as a home game for anyone. It's kind of a roaming freebie um, to bring everyone together. You know, that could be the main attraction, but also maybe build in some things around it where we can all get together as a sport and, um, you know, do some brainstorming, some connecting, some strategizing. I I think that would absolutely serve as, you know, we keep using that phrase, grow the game but I don't think we're always smart about the ways that we can think outside the box to do that and how to come together in, in one space to, to, you know, actually put some, some pen to paper and um, you know, connect in that way. So I like that. But speaking of the commissioner's cup, any thoughts on that first year um, Seattle did win. I don't know how in the world, Michelle, you know, I was in Tokyo. Yeah. And I'm still not right. Okay. No one told me what's the furthest you've ever been from, from here, Michelle, what's the furthest you've ever traveled time zone wise, like number of hours from Eastern standard time or central time, if you will. Beijing. Okay. 
So, so I, you, I think I feel your pain. <laughs> I was going to say, so when you came back from Beijing, I don't know if you thought you could have played in a basketball game that same week, but I could barely brush my teeth. So that I know was something that stood out to me about the commissioner's cup was like, I don't know how the, uh, the Olympians and those that had just come back from Tokyo, especially those that played a lot of minutes were even on that court, but I do understand the importance of $500,000. So I do get that they needed to, to be there, but um, yeah, first year for, for the cup. What, what were your thoughts? I liked it. Um, maybe, maybe more than I, than I even knew I was going to, like, I, I like the idea. It felt important. Um, I think playing for money, um, it sometimes that's a cool thing to do. Like, Hey, this is why we're doing this. We, we, we want to get this money. That's okay. They're professionals. Um, here's what I thought maybe happened. You know, that feeling when you're super tired and somehow you still have to do one more thing and you get through that and then you crash. I feel like that's what happened in the storm. It's almost like they're like, okay, we're still running, 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 running. If we can just get through the commissioner's cup and they did that and then crash. Oh, and then in the meantime, you know, Brianna Stewart, you know, introduces a, a baby to her family <laughs> in spite of all that. I, I feel like we're seeing a little bit of fatigue now with the storm. It's almost like it's hit them um, uh, maybe a little later. And I do think that can happen to you sometimes. It's not immediately after you're super tired. It's the, it's that when you really lost your second wind, so to yeah. speak. Um, that, I know they're all professional athletes and, um, but you know, you're in very good shape and you're feeling it. So you, you know, that, that they're feeling that to some degree. And, and we're probably seeing that a little bit right now, I think, and in, in how they've played. Michelle, I am not in good shape, first of all, okay? I have totally lost all of my tone. I'm just, you know, just trying to make it right now in the world. Um, but yeah, I, I aspire I, to be you then. <laughs> oh, whatever. Let me tell you, honey. This COVID, this quarantining at home has kept me way too close to the pantry. Um, but yeah, so I, I get it. You know, I definitely understand how it is when you can push through that one more thing, but I, I think that could be a storyline we look back at, um, once we do get into the playoffs is who managed the Olympic break the best, whether it's the teams that did not have any Olympians that had time to come together and gel and play. It definitely didn't look like that for the Connecticut sun in that commissioner's cup game. I think we all expected them to have an advantage because they had been resting here, but you know, what if Seattle you know, did crash at the wrong time? Did that put them out of position in terms of, of seating? You know, will they be able to regain their legs? I know I was watching uh, Jewel Lloyd after she had went on that, tear for you know the few first few games back and I'm watching her against the Washington Mystics and no offense to the Mystics but I'm like she's got to be exhausted yeah I mean carrying the load the way she did for the team coming back you know having just been in Tokyo but anyway I guess I just say that to say um I'm wondering how we will reflect back on the break and and what teams managed their players and you know it's just a, a lot of tough decisions when you have important games um, left and right. And that's what you love about the format of our playoffs is that it's not just making it in like you get in and then there's home court advantage. There's a single buy, there's a double buy. So let's jump into standings actually really quickly. 
um, as we're discussing that. So three teams in the WNBA have clinched a playoff berth as of today, and that is Connecticut Sun, Las Vegas Aces, and the Seattle Storm. Um, everything is so close. We have no idea what's going to happen in terms of seeding for, for one through four, obviously with the, with the single buy and double buy, but Minnesota's won their last two. They're in that fourth spot. Uh, Phoenix Mercury have now won five straight games and they are in the, in the fifth spot in the league right now, Chicago's in six. They hit a little bit of a, a rocky point once again, because Candace Parker was out. Um, she's back, but I don't, I don't know if any of us really feel great about the way Chicago is playing in general compared to what we thought coming into season. Um, New York is in that seventh spot, but has been just ravished by injury at the wrong time. Sammy Whitcomb, Jazz Jones, I believe that they they could have beaten Seattle. I think they would have had a better shot had they had Jasmine Jones on the floor. I don't think we really, really recognize how important she is um, to the team, but they've been banged up. Um, Dallas Wings uh, in that eighth spot, but not holding on with a lot of confidence. Um, LA just lost a game and they fell out of the top eight. They were they're going back and forth right now with Dallas. Washington Mystics in the 10th spot is probably the scariest team for most people who think they have a shot to push into the playoffs because you just feel like no matter what happens, the Mystics are going to get there. And then the Dream at 11 and Fever at 12. Um, as I as I just briefly went through that list, Michelle, what stands out to you as, as what you'll be looking for here in the next few weeks as we finish off the regular season? It's interesting. I think one thing that, that stands out is um, – the ride you've probably been on if you're a Mercury fan um, because their team at the beginning of the season, you thought, wow, they could, they could be really good. They could contend for championship. And then you might've thought, okay, eh, it's not going to happen. There's injuries. They just don't look good. They're losing games uh, that they shouldn't, or they're having to rally to win games. And then you started to start, you know, right before the all-star break, think, oh, I don't know, maybe they're getting their confidence back. And then they've been really good since uh, the all-star slash Olympic break. So they're a, just an interesting team. Uh, Diana Trazzi said this last night after their game, she said, we tend to be a second half team. And, and that's, that's been true that they've played better in the second half of seasons. Uh, the fact that she seems healthier is, is big. Let's hope that the ankle injury last night with Brittany Griner, isn't anything too serious. Um, uh, I, those always hurt, but hopefully she's not going to be out for very long. Um, and then Skylar Diggins is just, oh my gosh, she's just hitting shots on right a tear. Now. She is on, on a, a tear. tear. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, between Brittany, between Brittany Griner and, and, um, Brianna Turner, I don't know how anybody else gets a rebound. I mean, the two of them have been working great in tandem and, and then they've gotten some lift off their bench. Um, you know, if, if they can have players like, um, Kian Nurse and Sophie Cunningham come in and hit some some three pointers. I mean, just give them that little you know the space that that helps create for them. Um, they're they're a scary team. We know when they win, they're going to win because of offense, and their offense can be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I when we talk about the big threes of of all these various teams, you know, when Skylar Diggins Smith announced she was going to Phoenix, I think we were all like, wow, you've got you know, Diana and, and BG, you know what they can do. And now you're adding a, a Skylar Diggins Smith who we don't really, I don't think many people recognize how accomplished she has been in her individual career. 
Um, there very, hasn't been very much she has not accomplished as, a, as an individual player, and her numbers are inc- incredibly impressive. Um, she just does not have the playoff and championship resume to go with that. And that's why she came to Phoenix, but it's, it has been quite an up and down ride. And I don't even think with this win streak that they feel great about the way they they're playing. I mean, you know, you get, you know, you get on the zooms and you know, they won and Sandy's like, yeah, you know, and Diana's like, huh, you know, cause it, it just seems like there's a fine line between them performing well and not, you know, what, what do you think about the Chicago sky? You know, I mean, this could be another year where they don't, um, you know, finish the regular season in position where, you know, they can get a favorable spot, you know, double by, which I think they were that kind of team coming into this season that they were, were, we were looking at them for a double by. It's not going to happen. They've been unable to advance in a significant way the last couple of years in the playoffs. I mean, I, I just don't know what to make of this team. It, it always seems like they're, um, they're good but they're not championship level good. You know, that they're, I don't know if it's one piece or one player or just the, the sum of the parts isn't quite as good. Like, like for instance, uh, and, and, you know, Connecticut certainly has some super individual players, but it always seems like Connecticut, the, the sum of the parts is even, you know, it, it, it's, it's bigger sometimes. Like you, you look at it and say, they really do make the most of the talent that they have. I, or at least it seems that way. And right now we're seeing with Connecticut a team that when they're playing defense well, um, they, they can shut down anybody. So, you know, if they win, you know, even without Alyssa Thomas, who's a fantastic defensive player, they're really, really good. Um, Minnesota's another one of those teams that, that um, you know, the, the last couple of years, like even though they haven't been the dynasty good team and we can't expect them to they still seem to get the most out of what they have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel that way with Chicago and I and I don't know I have thought about this a lot I'd be really curious Lachina, like if you can put your finger on it because they've done different things you know they've they've added some different players but you know, you just have a feeling like, okay, they're, they'll be good enough to make the playoffs and they're not going to be around much longer than that. I think my concern is that there's not a lot of consistency, you know, with who, who's doing what, when, you know, and I know that it's tough to incorporate a player of Candace Parker's magnitude and think it's going to just happen so easily and I think her being in and out of the lineup with injury has been significant for them because she does so much when she's on the floor and so you know they haven't been able to get comfortable but it, it just doesn't seem like you know early on in the season it was like their defense is going to fuel them with diamond and, and copper and then you know that's kind of been hit or miss and now they've changed the starting lineup I mean do you really want to be changing your starting lineup at this time of the season you know, starting Allie Quigley the other day in, instead of Diamond to Shields. And so I think you want to be playing your most consistent basketball right now, and you want to kind of know what you're going to get from who win. And they just haven't had that. And they've got so much talent. So, yeah, I'm with you. I just I don't know really what to make of them at this point, but they could either ruin some playoff. <laughs> you know, they could ruin some of these uh, series as we jump into the playoffs with some of the higher seeds, or they could be an early out again. 
Um, you just never know. Okay. So in out of the group of those that are lo- out on the outside looking in Michelle, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, we know, let me go up to the top again. I, I love Connecticut. I just think Kurt Miller is outstanding. Vegas is going to be there. Uber talented. Seattle's good. You know, Cheryl Reeves, great. She'll have Minnesota there. We talked about Phoenix, Chicago. Let's just dig into that next group. New York, Dallas, LA, Washington, Atlanta, Indiana, and really not even as much Atlanta, Indiana, because they've, they're, they're kind of playing their way out of it. But um, who do you think could really hold on to a playoff spot? And who do you think could, can make a push to really make some noise once they get there? Well, I, obviously, you know, with, especially if Elena Deladon is back and we, and we, we do understand, of course, that because it's a back injury, it, it is a day-to-day, um, you know, and unfortunately I mean, that might be the case the rest of her career, you know, when, when you have back issues, but so far, it's been amazing to have her back. Now Tina Charles is out, <laughs> but, but once that, let's say they're as healthy as they're going to get, and we know Emma Meesman isn't coming over there. That's still a team with so much talent and so much um, experience in terms of um, so many of them were there for the championship team, mm-hmm. even though right now they're sitting in 10th, it, you, you got to figure if they can be relatively healthy the rest of the way. Um, that's a big just their experience factor and their talent factor are are big advantages. Um, I would say, I think the same thing with the sparks. I mean, it's, it's nice for the sparks to have the players back that they have Um, the Gumake sisters, obviously, um, you know, Chrissy Tolliver was out for a while. They were hoping they'd have um, Maria Vadeva. Uh, They're, they're not going to have her, which um, sometimes you forget about her a little yes, bit. She yes. Been in the league that much. Um, but uh Brittany Sykes, obviously somebody who deserves a lot of mention for just how good of a defensive player she is. Yeah. So those are the teams um that I, I still feel like have a little bit of an edge from a talent and experience standpoint in terms of making this push. Yeah. And then we get back to Dallas and New York are still teams that don't have that experience and, and have sort of, if I, I would say glaring is probably um, a, a fair word in terms of you're going to look at, at Dallas and New York and say, you know, that that's something you'd like to see be better with both of them. Dallas obviously drafted strength inside, but you know, the, those rookie players are, are not at this point able to have a big impact on the game. And um, so yeah, that's and I'm not saying there's no way either those teams are going to make the playoffs, but right now, if you were going to put, you know, I think you'd probably put your money on on Washington and L.A. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. You know, we looked at the strength of schedule for the remaining teams, and um, unfortunately, some of those that are in that bunch that we just mentioned have some of the toughest upcoming schedules and you know what that can mean, um, you know, headed down the stretch. And then, you know, do we get into a situation with some of these teams that are, have clinched where they're going to rest players, you know, that can, that sometimes happens the last week or so as the league gets ready to wrap up when they realize they can't better their position, coaches will start to rest players, which then could allow, you know, some of those eight, nine, maybe tens to, to get some wins against teams that they have left in, in the home stretch for them. Um, that could impact things, but either way, it's going to be a great race to watch. And Michelle, 
as always, so much great insight. Thank you so much for all that you do. And um, we will be keeping our eyes on all this WNBA action all the way through September and October, guys. Don't forget this year. Uh, we will be uh, in the playoffs, riding the wave all the way through September and October. We hope you'll be there with us. Thanks for your time, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Third quarter, scouting report. All right, basketball fans. So we are headed into our third quarter. And one of the teams that is sitting in the bottom half of the standings right now that we've all kind of questioned. We had high expectations for this team, but they haven't quite lived up to the billing that we all anticipated would happen in this season. And that is the Dallas Wings. There's been questions about their roster. There's been questions about the health of their teams. We just we just need to know what exactly is going on. And so there's no better person to help LaChina and I break this Dallas team down than WNBA lead editor, Drew Ivory. Hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Well, we have a lot to get to around the wings, uh, Drew. So we hope that you're buckled into the hot seat. Uh, this is a team that right now is in eighth place and trying to hold on to that final spot for the playoffs. And I think everyone's just wondering, you know, I mean, it's you have a team that we've seen such great promise from. You're dealing with a major injury right now to Satu Sabli, who is one of the bright stars of this league, was a WNBA all star and, and you know, just devastating for her to be out at this time. But what can you tell us about just the overall feel around the wings right now as they're making this push and, you know, do they, are they optimistic that they can make the playoffs? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of uncertainty around the team. You know, every time a game is about to start up, everybody's wondering, well, who's going to start today? Who's it going to be a lineup? number? It would be lineup number 11 if they roll out something different today, which I guess we'll find out. Um, but you know, the Dallas Wings, they've been unpredictable kind of all season. Uh, I thought early on when they had hit a little win streak, like, oh, they're kind of finding themselves really early. And then, you know, I should have not had my hopes up once I saw that come about. But Dallas has been kind of – it's it gives you – when you talk to Coach about it, she doesn't really have an answer either. It's, it's always kind of like, I don't know. I don't know why we went from this to this. I don't know this. I don't know why this is happening from game to game after we do this. It's it's an inconsistency issue that has followed Dallas ever since I've been here, no matter which team it's been. 2018 with Liz and Skyler, 2019, 2020 bubble team. And this year, it's just it's like it's like the wings are cursed or something ever since they made the playoffs last time. They're just not allowed to go back now. That's just what it seems like it is. But you know, the team, you know, still obviously young. You know, I wish they had done different things over the offseason to prepare for this season if, you know, playoff push really was the thing, which it seems it has been for the majority of this season. Uh, so they just have to get consistent. It's just about doing the same thing from game to game instead of just one game and then forgetting whatever you just did in the next. It's yeah. in, A lot of times that gets pointed to youth, but – you know, we've been pointing to youth for going on the third season now with, with Dallas. So when is it not youth and when is it, I don't know about this team, maybe things need to shake up. Yeah, you pose a lot of really good questions. Um, how long do you wait for a team to grow up, right? And I was, as you were, a little bit disappointed that there wasn't more of a veteran presence added to this roster in the offseason. 
Um, you know, this team is definitely young and that's a, a con- inconsistency is a word that you, you use when it comes to youth. Um, but again, it's when you see what they're capable of that, you know, they've beaten the Chicago sky, they've beaten the Washington mystics, you know, they've beaten the Minnesota Lynx. Like they've had some, they've beaten the Phoenix Mercury. They've beaten Seattle. Like, you know, these are all playoff teams. So where are, is Dallas, you know, outside of the obvious injury we've already discussed, you know, where is, where do you draw the line with, Hey, this just isn't, isn't working for some reason. Um, and, and I've been around Vicky and I've covered the wings. I love her mindset when it comes to this team. I think she's patient with their youth, but it does seem to be a lot of, um, changes in the lineup that would indicate some uncertainty in terms of what you're getting from your players night in and night out. So is there any chance we could see Satu back? And is, does that think, do you think that that's going to be the deciding factor in how the wings do in the playoffs, if they're able to make it in? Well, there is another problem that popped up just yesterday on the injury report. Alicia Gray is going to be out tonight in concussion protocol. So now they've got two problems, but Definitely health is going to help this team. Um, but with, like you said about the unpredictable lineups, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, when I talked to coach about that, you know, last time they had uh, availabilities, uh, coach said that it's mostly situational. Uh, a lot of times she's, she hasn't found anything that she's sticking with, but you know, anytime, you know, a different team comes about, she wants to try and match up well. So that's what she's, she's alluding to with yes. our lineup situation. And, you know, you understand that. But when you see, you know, you've had 24 games for the Dallas Wings, and if there's a new lineup tonight, then that would be 11 different lineups in 24 games. Like, you at least find somewhere, maybe cut that in half to where you find a group that you like for the most part and stick with somebody. But uh, Satu is going to be big because, you know, she was one of the all-stars this year, you know, in in uh, year two. So being having her on the floor, she can do everything, like, the nickname that she's got, the unicorn. She does everything for the wings whenever she's in there. And it's going to be a big, big thing losing her for however long it's going to be. They, uh, they're looking at a second opinion. And right now I'm told that Satu is day to day. So that keeps me hopeful, but how many days, not so many games left. So hopefully sooner rather than later, because things could be decided sooner rather than later. Yeah, and that's unfortunate news around Alicia Gray because she's such a big part of what they do. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, it's great of a season that Mabry has had. She's been a little bit inconsistent in terms of her shooting. Um, you know, Alicia Gray did leave for a while and came back. And, um, you know, that's for a young team, you know, when when players either arrive late or they're missing time, that kind of disrupts the continuity of things. And then just being so young in the post, you know, I mean, that doesn't give you a lot of options with Satu being hurt. Like, you know, where do you slide players? I feel like Isabel Harrison is always a warrior. You know, Kayla Thornton's going to give you what she can night in and night out. I mean, I think it's a team that works extremely hard, but I think there are gaps that you can't often make up for. And I think those gaps in this team are experience and consistency and figuring out like who needs to step up when and and who they need more for. And some of that may start with who they're on the floor with. All right, Drew. So we're going to ask you for your last segment here to kind of put on your Dallas wings. Mm, Let's see. What am I going to call this? 
who was the lady who used to have the um the show Tarika with the oh Miss Cleo <laughs> y'all remember Miss Cleo do we ever call me now for your free reading yes free reading so we're gonna ask <laughs> you to look into Miss Cleo's magic ball and we're gonna go down some of these games in the final schedule for Dallas and you tell us if you think Dallas is going to win this game. All right. Okay. Now, some are on the road, some against playoff teams, some are not. And I know this is a tough spot to put you in, but you know this team well. So they have back to back games on the road against the Washington Mystics 2 and 0, 1 and 1, 0 and 2. It's funny you ask this because we just did a podcast recently, Pick'em, and Dallas Wings were a part of it. But I'm going to go one and one. Uh, Dallas loses the first but wins the second. And I apologize. Oh, yes, they are there. Okay, so you said loses the first, wins the second. So they they learn from the first contest, and then they they win the second. Correct. All right. Then they have back-to-backs at home against Atlanta. Oh, I think they split again. And same order. Lose the first, win the second. All right. Now, Lynn's been struggling. They've lost, like, what, eight in a row now, nine in a row? They've lost five of their last seven. That could be – this could be an opportunity for the Wings uh, with a struggling team, especially at home. All right. Then the last three are – excuse me, the last four – Connecticut at Dallas, New York at Dallas. I mean, this is favorable in terms of being at home. Dallas at Vegas and then L.A. at Dallas for the finale. So that's the last four games. You thinking two and two, three and one, one and three. Where are you with it? I'm looking at probably two and two. And you mentioned the home games, you know. Everybody, it's supposed to be an advantage. You look at the Wings record at home this year, four and seven. It's not as it's not as helpful as it should be. So yeah. I'm gonna stick it two and two in those final four. All right. So you've got two and two in the final four. My guesses would be they would have a good shot beating New York at home, and yes. they would have a fair chance for the for the finale at home to be LA. Yes. But if LA's fighting for a playoff spot too, that <laughs> that one could also be a toss-up. Well, and the other thing is that LA is a team that doesn't have a big interior presence, right? They've got right. Zowie B, but I think those are going to be the teams down the stretch. Dallas gives up a lot of paints in the point. Excuse me, points in the paint. Connecticut is good at that. Vegas is really good at that. So I think their chances are better against more perimeter-oriented teams like New York. And with forwards that can function as um, small forwards and play on the outside, like what LA has. So, all right, Drew. Well, we are going to run this back <laughs> and see how well you did when we're evaluating the end of the Dallas Wings season. But in the meantime, thank you for holding it down on the Wings. Um, we will check you out. Tell us where we can check you out. Where can fans follow you and your coverage of the team? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Uncle Drew WNBA. You can find all that Wings coverage right there. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. This is fantastic. It was a fun experience. All right. Well, we hope to have you back again. Give our, our girl Dorothy Gentry a hello for us, and uh, we'll see you soon. 
Most definitely. Thank you guys very much. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. So we tell you guys every single week in every single show that we want you to hit us up on um, our email and to leave us messages in um, on our review and our rate page on Apple. And I don't think that you guys believe us when we tell you that we actually do read the comments that you send and we do read the emails that you send as well. And so we wanted to take a quick second just to give you guys some love and to shout out some people who have recently sent us some messages. So first, I want to read an email from Felice Janelle. Um, and she sent this to, to our uh, Gmail account, which is, I have been a fan of women's basketball for 25 years since the WNBA was launched. I shortly thereafter started following NCAA. I love the players, the teams, the coaches, and everyone associated with women's basketball. What I like about your show is that it provides insight and insider knowledge warmth and respect for the game listening to your show makes me a better fan thanks so much for what you're doing keep doing what you're doing love you guys Felice oh Felice that's awesome super awesome thank you everything we aim to accomplish absolutely absolutely and then one more um, comes from Apple because we definitely read our reviews that you guys leave us on Apple and actually two more um, this one says, great podcast. LaChina Robinson and Tarika Foster-Brasby are Black girl magic together, and I enjoy each and every episode. I love the focus on women's basketball, but not just women's basketball, the things and the issues around it as well. Keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much. We love the- our listeners. We appreciate y'all tuning in, all your loyalty, and thank you for um, the kind notes and taking time out. We appreciate it. We love y'all. We really do. And our very last one is from Joan. Joan also left us a message on Apple that says, I always learn something new. They cover happenings in the WNBA, NCAA, and Team USA from multiple perspectives. I just haven't found another resource like it. So there you go, guys. Thank you all so much. We appreciate you. And with that, um, that's going to be our show for today, LaChina. Well, it's good to be back, especially right before the playoffs. Um, I missed y'all. And yeah, we'll have some fire episodes coming up and the WNBA race is hot. So listen, grab your popcorn, baby. That's it. Stay in. Talk to you guys later. <laughs>